Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we're going to sit down and talk micro-stretching with Dr. Nikos Apostolopoulos. So what we're going to get into first, guys, is what exactly micro-stretching is and where Dr. Nick came up with the idea. You know, he gets into uh, what separates micro-stretching from, from typical or traditional flexibility training. And then Dr. Apostolopoulos gets into the research he's done with it and, and the results he's found and why um, these improvements are so dramatic. You know, we then get into when uh, the mechanisms that make micro-stretching so successful. Um, you know, and then we get into talking about some other things with it when it comes to his background, his research, uh, his dissertation. It's really an awesome talk, guys, uh, on an interesting topic. I, I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Awesome. And Nikos, thanks for being on with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. So how about we start out with you giving a, a little intro and, and the story behind who you are, how you got there, and, and how you built what you've got going on. Sure, definitely. Okay, uh, I developed the technique of micro-stretching uh, back in 1995, but it all had to do with an accident that I suffered in um, January 25th, 1989. I was... Uh, a track cyclist aspiring to go to the 92 Olympics in Barcelona and while training in Vancouver, because that's where I was living at the time, a car ran a stop sign and took me out and I ended up uh, concussed. Uh, actually, I was out for about five minutes. And then when I woke up, I had pins and needles in my left arm, uh, both arms and a lot of pain and I couldn't, um, I couldn't find any relief. So I did the classic stuff, I did the physio, I did the massage therapy, I did the acupuncture and all that, but no relief was to to come my way. And uh, Jay, what I did is I said to myself, let's really look at stretching and let's see if we looked at supported stretching. And I hung my head over the side of a bed, supported my head and then started getting relief in the neck. And that sort of was the light bulb, the catalyst that developed the technique of micro-stretching. Incidentally, during the 19, the, the mid-90s, actually early 90s, mid-90s, even up until about the end of the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot of people were practicing the technique known as PNF stretching, which is proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. For those that don't know what that technique is, it's a technique where you actually move the person's limb uh, to a certain range of motion where they're going to feel the end range and then you're going to get them to uh, to basically push against you, resist against you for about ten, 6 to 10 seconds and then what it does is it sort of fakes the muscle to move to another range of motion. 
what was happening incidentally at that time is when I was looking at uh, therapists and trainers that were doing uh, PNF stretching on their clients, the the clients would be in a lot of pain. They would be screaming, uh, and I'm not kidding you. They would be screaming. They would be aggressively pushing against the uh, the trainer or the therapist for those six to ten seconds. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a sec. There's something wrong here. There's something not right. And then when I did my own research, looked at uh, PNF stretching, it was developed by Stanley Kabat and Mary Voss, uh, a physiotherapist. Kabat was a doctor, and it was developed in the 1950s basically looking at dealing with kids that had child onset paralysis. And then I'm thinking, wait a sec. If this technique is working with kids that have paralysis or paralysis issues, why are we taking this technique and then introducing it to a healthy population and getting them to stretch aggressively? For sure, this child is not going to stretch aggressively aggressively for those six to 10 seconds. And I'm thinking, there's something wrong here. And basically, that was the, like I said, the catalyst that sort of, besides my accident, that sort of made me uh, uh, develop the technique of microstretching. And basically what I looked at, more importantly, and this is where my PhD, I just recently finished my PhD in England, uh, looking at stretching intensity and the inflammatory response, and that was the key. I was looking at, coincidentally, I just got a paper that I need to review looking at pre-adolescent uh, gymnasts and stretching intensity. And the one thing people fail to realize from my point of view, is that if the magnitude of the force created by stretching is um, too much for the body, guys, it's an inflammatory response. So we have to look at stretching. Now, you may say, yeah, Nick, when athletes train and stuff like this, they're going to cause inflammation, of course, because you're going to break down the tissue and then you're going to reform the tissue because, you know, Muscle tissue goes through degeneration, inflammation, regeneration, and then fibrosis or fibrotic tissue, and that's how the muscle itself heals. However, guys, when we're looking at stretching, and my stretching, micro-stretching, is not looking at, hey, I've got you know this athlete, and I want him to get bend over and touch his toes. No, 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 no. I'm looking at how stretching intensity influences the recovery of the muscle tissue. It's a very, it's a different paradigm shift. It's looking at using stretching for recovery and regeneration. And that's what micro-stretching is about. And the thing is, stretching intensity is the key. I know when we look at the parameters of training, we look at uh, intensity, frequency, and duration. Well, the interesting thing is that duration and frequency are quantitative. We can measure that. We can say to an athlete, listen, Jay, I want you to stretch for... 30 seconds, hold that stretch for 30 seconds, and I want you to do it three times or four times or whatever. But the problem we have is stretching intensity because that is a personal thing. So it's a qualitative response. And how do you measure that qualitative response to say to the athlete, hey, guys, you know what? If you're stretching at an 8 out of 10, so let's lay, let's look at a numerical rating scale or a visual analog scale where we say zero is no stretch and 10 is aggressive burn and pain. You know, most athletes, Jay, I don't know with the athletes you've worked with, they're going to say they're going to stretch around a seven or an, or an eight out of 10, correct? Yeah, it's probably fair. Yeah, because that's where they're going to say, hey, this is where I'm starting to feel that stretch. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or that it's worth it. It's worth it. Thank you for saying that. Quotations. This is worth it. However, 
It is not. My research, Jay, looked at does stretching intensity cause inflammation? And the very first study that we looked at, and I want to say to all your viewers, is that my PhD was the first PhD to look at stretching intensity, human subjects, and inflammatory biomarkers. I took about 330 vials of blood because I specifically wanted to look at does stretching intensity cause inflammation? And if it does, at what stretching intensity do we not see inflammation? And does low intense stretching, i.e. micro-stretching, does it actually help the tissues recover? And all those questions were answered in the PhD. What we found with the first study is that when we had people stretch to an eight out of 10, now remember this is, we're using a numerical rating scale because each person's perception is different. What we found is that after, so we did, we measured bloods pre, we measured bloods post, and we measured bloods at 24 hours post. And what we were specifically looking at was pro-inflammatory cytokines. These are very important terms for your viewers to realize because the field of science or sports science is moving in towards the concept of inflammation, which is the key because you and I know, because I've, I've been training athletes for years as well, and I was an athlete myself, that an athlete is a study in sports trauma. An athlete is a study in inflammation. It's a catabolic response. He will break down, and then we have to minimize the amount of breakdown by doing the opposite, which is anabolic. I'm not saying recommend steroids, but that's why steroids are around, Jay, because they are a potent anti-inflammatory. But we have the skills to be able to teach the athletes to do things in order to do it naturally. However, it does, and I'm going to stress this point, it does take a long time. That's the key. If you want the stretching, the, what you develop through stretching to last, it's going to take you a long time. I'm going to digress a bit, and I'm going to talk about martial arts. I'm going to talk about uh, gymnastics, and I'm going to talk about ballet. Now, these, why do I bring these, uh, these sports or these uh, physical endeavors out into the forefront? Because a lot of these people stretch aggressively and stretch to the point of pain. Now, what... The interesting thing, guys, is when you actually have an inflammatory response in the body, as is right now from training, and you're trying to help that tissue heal, it behooves me why we continue stretching to pain and discomfort. Because what pain and discomfort is, is a sympathetic nervous system response, which basically means that the tissues are now responding to the stimulus of stress, aggressive pain. And what happens when you have an SNS response? Basically means that your tissues are starting to tense up. So how are you going to help that system recover when you're putting more tension in the system? But more importantly, when you're reintroducing inflammation, it doesn't make any sense. You know, so the thing is, I know people are going to use ibuprofen. They're going to use all these NSAID, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. But guys... It's been shown that NSAIDs actually affect protein synthesis. It's not going to help you with recovery. What will help you with recovery is doing physical things that are gentle, that are not going to create an inflammatory response. So my first study specifically looked at pro-inflammatory cytokines. And these are, and I say, and I say them slowly for your, re for your readers, for your viewers, to research them. 
interleukin IL-1 beta. The other one is interleukin IL-6. And the last one is tumor necrosis factor alpha. These are pro-inflammatory cytokines that are released in response to muscle damage and trauma. The other thing that's very important is that down the system, now you gotta realize, and this is, this is one thing I wanna impress upon your viewers or your listeners, is that the interesting thing about these cytokines is three things. One is called autocrine, which basically means that the cytokine itself can re-release itself, provided that it's been given the right environment. The other one is paracrine, which means one cytokine is close in vicinity to another, uh, to another cytokine, to another protein, pro-inflammatory protein, and it causes it to re-release itself. And then the third one is endocrine, which basically means what's happening locally will cause a systemic response down globally to the liver. Why the liver? Because the liver, Jay, is very important for releasing what is known as C-reactive protein. C-reactive protein, guys, is a protein that's released in response to inflammation because now it's trying to set up the system to go back into that local area of damage to try to help it heal. However, when we actually use pain and discomfort in order to try to help with that pain, we cause a re-release of these pro-inflammatory cytokines, which basically is opposite to what we're trying to do, which is very, very important. So eight out of 10, anything that causes pain and discomfort with regards to stretching is counterproductive for helping the tissue heal and recover. Another thing that your viewers should realize is that the concept of fibrosis or fibrotic tissue, what the body does, Jay, is once it's gone through from the degeneration, which means the muscle trauma, and then the inflammation, which means the inflammatory response, and then the regeneration, which means, hey, let's remove all these dead cells. I don't know if, uh, if, uh, if you listened to the last podcast that Derek Hansen and I did. Mm -hmm. uh, we our podcast was called Stretch or Die. And basically saying that the mechanical force itself is responsible for for causing the death of a lot of cells, that death of a lot of cells is also another thing that causes the, the release of the pro-inflammatory cytokines in response to removing all that dead cells out of the tissue in order to help the body heal. Once it removes all that, it basically goes, biochemically, you gotta realize that when we're looking at inflammation, we're looking at white blood cells. Specifically, we're looking at neutrophils, we're looking at macrophages. Now macrophages, Jay, are split into two. There's macrophage one, M1, and macrophage two. Macrophage one is a phagocytic micro, micro uh, is a phagocytic um, a protein or a white blood cell because what happens is once the neutrophils have gone in there to clean up all the dead cells, they themselves now have to be removed. So then the macrophage ones go in there and they are the bigger Pac-Man, which is removing the dead neutrophils. Now, once that happens, then the system shifts to what is known as M2. These are macrophage satellite cells within that area of injury, but they're the ones that are responsible for causing the release or bringing in what is known as transforming growth factor beta or TGF-1. 
one beta. And what that means is now we're laying down the fibrosis, the new cells, in order to create that connection in the system. But guys, when you are actually causing the um, and you're aggressive, you're going to keep re-releasing or causing more release of fibrotic tissue, which basically means that this range of motion that a lot of these martial artists that have developed, these gymnasts that have developed, these, uh, these ballets, when it's, it's actually fibrotic tissue. And what happens, I don't know if you've experienced this, Jay, but I have with through my therapy, uh, where I, because micro-stretching micro is also a therapeutic technique where I would stretch people for a living. Like I've worked in the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL uh, and with athletes. And what happens is when an athlete presents themselves with me that have been uh, doing a lot of aggressive stretching, they lose a lot of that range of motion. Mm -hmm. If they stop any form of stretching, they lose that range of motion. And it, it baffles them as to, I've spent all this time developing this range of motion aggressively. Why have I lost it? Because the fibrotic tissue, when it ages, it compresses. So, guys, if you want to help your system recover from trauma, you want to help them recover and regenerate, you need to basically do stretching that's not going to cause inflammation. So, a lot of your viewers are going to say, hey, Nick, so what do you define as the proper stretching intensity? In my clinic, since 1995, when I developed micro-stretching, and I'd like to add, as a concept that's been around since 1986, just percolating in my head, but I needed an accident on me to basically develop the technique, is that I've said to a lot of my patients, the stretching intensity should be around a 3 or 4 out of 10. What does that mean? From a, uh, from a, a metaphor point of view, it's like putting your hand in lukewarm water. That's how the stretching should feel. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to diminish as much inflammation as possible. So my second study specifically looked at answering that question. So we looked at uh, a stretching intensity of 3 out of 10. We looked at a stretching intensity of 6 out of 10. And then we looked at a stretching intensity of 9 out of 10. And we looked at the hamstring muscle. I want your viewers to know that the most studied muscle for for flexibility work is the hamstring muscle. It's been studied ad nauseum. Now, and what we found is that when people were doing, yeah, we saw inflammation. So nine out of 10, pain, discomfort, we saw inflammation. So when we compared a 30% stretch, so now what I mean by 30% stretch is if I actually took you, Jay, and I got you on your back and I stretched your, I got, I did three measurements of your right hamstring, and then I took your maximum um, range of motion. So if your maximum range of motion was, let's say, 100 degrees, then I took 30% of that. And I said 30% is, is equivalent to 30 degrees of your range of motion. And we said that's a gentle, relaxing stretch. 60% or 60 degrees of your range of motion. We said that's a medium stretch, not a lot of intensity. And then 90 degrees, you know, is pain and discomfort. So what we found is when we compared 30 to 90 and 60 to 90, that we saw inflammation happening. But when we compared 30 to 60, there was no inflammation. So now we're saying, hey guys, at 30 or 60% between those two values, we didn't see any inflammation, which maybe, which is telling us that, you know, this is where you should stretch from an, a stretching intensity point of view. 
I'd love to do more studies which would look at specifically, is it 30, 40, 40, 50, or 50, 60? But we know that within that range, a perception of 30 to 60%, which is a very gentle stretch, we saw no inflammation, which was key for me from a recovery regeneration point of view. Now, the other key is people that do low intense stretching, do they recover faster? And if they do recover faster, what are the parameters to look at? And you and I know from, from our work with athletes is that most athletes and even non-athletes, they look at the concept of strength and they measure everything based on strength. So what we looked at is we looked at eccentric peak torque, isometric peak torque, and soreness levels. And again, we looked at HSCRP for inflammation. Now, I said CRP before, but HSCRP stands for high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which basically is a, is a protein that is more sensitive, which allows us to be able to, uh, to, um, to uh, what's that word I'm thinking of? To, uh, now I'm stuck. Yeah, this English language even though it's my first, my second language, to be able to measure, thank you, to, me to measure, it gives us more sensitivity to be able to measure smaller values or concentrations of CRP. And what we found is people that did low intensity stretching, okay, uh, which is what micro-stretching is, is that not only did they recover faster, they recovered within 48 hours but they continued their recovery being greater than baseline values, which was very interesting for both eccentric peak torque and isometric peak torque. So you're saying there was a supercompensation based upon that recovery means utilized? Yes. Basically what it was telling us is that what, what you look at when you do these tests is we created DOM, so we created muscle damage, and we... We're able to measure for the muscle damage for looking at CK, creatine kinase, which mm -hmm. is a protein used for measuring muscle damage. And we created DOMS in these people. And what we saw was we saw the classic response is that within 0 to 24 hours, the control, the high-intensity stretching, and the low-intensity stretching group decreased, right? Gotcha. Interestingly enough, from 24 hours to 48 hours, the control group still decreased, but we saw a slight increase in high-intensity stretching and low-intensity stretching. So from 24 to 48 hours, we started seeing an increase in both forms of stretching. But interestingly enough, at the 48-hour mark, instead of seeing a continued increase in high-intensity stretching for recovery, it went the other way. It went downwards. So basically, the, the athletes weren't generating as much force. However the actual uh, low intense stretching group, they continue, like you said, the supercompensation, they continue to develop more force, greater than baseline. And that was giving us an idea that what's going on here, because we know that once you have DOMS, the local, uh, the, the actual, uh, how do you say, response to DOM is anywhere between three to five days, you'll start seeing recovery mostly in the fifth day, right. because DOMS, guys, is an inflammatory response. It has nothing to do with lactic acid. And that's been dispelled for a long time ago. So basically, you see around five days, the person's recovered, and they're able to do that same activity again. However, what we saw with low-intensity stretching, the recovery was within 48 hours, which was huge. That's actually 
Super intriguing. Now, I know as a scientist, this isn't a fair question. Oh, go ahead. But if you were to infer as to why you could see that occurring. Oh, definitely. I will answer that question for you. Because what we're seeing is that, remember what I said earlier on, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes ago, is that if we already have inflammation in the system, we don't need, we, we are trying to decrease the creation of more inflammation. So the athletes that were stretching with low intensity stretching, which was very gentle, three or four out of 10, we're seeing that they're moderating and modulating the inflammatory response. Where the athletes that were stretching aggressively, and by that we were looking at athletes stretching around a seven or eight out of 10, mm -hmm. they were continuing that inflammatory response because they were continuing the damage to the tissue that has already been imparted because of the muscle damage protocol. So that's why we were seeing that response with regards to how these people are recovering, Jay. So then this would almost be like, this is going to sound wrong, but like, no, just, hey, like the anti-cold tub. Oh, man. You know how like we're saying now like cold water immersion is slowing because it's, you know, it's inhibiting the inflammatory response. So it's kind of retarding the ad adaptative process. So it's limiting the anabolic effect of that breakdown and that inflammatory response to exercise. This is actually how you're, you're describing it to me. If I'm, if I'm, because you just dropped a lot of stuff in 20 minutes. <laughs> if I'm pulling this all in and I'm reeling in what, what we're, what we're casting for here, this is like the antithesis of that. Yeah, because basically when you're looking at uh, cold tub immersion, Jay, you are basically slowing down the inflammatory response. Now, Nick, uh, Jay, you're going to say, but Nick, inflammation is a good thing. Yes, guys, it's a good thing from an acute point of view. But when you are basically hammering the body with pain and discomfort through stretching, it's not a good thing because what you're doing is you're keeping that system. It's basically inflammation recovery, inflammation recovery, inflammation recovery. It's not inflammation recovery, recovery, recovery. Because you are re-releasing those pro-inflammatory cytokines that are going to take that acute response and make it chronic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, getting back to the ice question. Interestingly enough, you are slowing down inflammation by using ice. And Dr. Merkin, the guy who developed the rice principle, which was rest, ice. Compression, comp elevation. Compression, elevation. He has gone on record to say right now that he was wrong that ice actually is counterproductive in helping the system recover. Okay, so this is another reason why I don't believe in using NSAIDs a lot because NSAIDs are basically, how do you say, prescribed in pro sports like it's cotton candy. And it's affecting the, the process of protein synthesis, which is, which is counterproductive, you know. So now... You might say, okay, Nick, we're talking about stretching. We're talking about stretching from a recovery point of view. When is the best time to stretch? Guys, don't stretch right after your activity. Don't stretch right after you've played basketball, uh, a full game of basketball, or you've played a full game of hockey, or you're on the pitch playing American football. No, once you've finished your game, you got to realize that your neural system, 
is fatigued. Your muscles are fatigued, so you need to replenish as much uh, nutrients, glucose and glycogen, to those systems. Because when you are that fatigued, you're more likely to overstretch and cause damage. So when's the best time to stretch? And this is where it's going to shock a lot of people, but your body needs to be in a cold state. You don't need to warm it up, providing that the stretching is gentle. The other thing that's very important is uh, body position. What do I mean? Most people, when they go and they stretch their calves, Jay, they basically go up against the wall and they put their foot, the balls of their foot up against the wall, and then they move their whole body forward. Or let's give it a better, uh, 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 a better image hanging off a step. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now guys, where's the stretch? But you're going to say, Hey Nick, but I'm feeling my, my calf area. I'm feeling my gastroc. I'm feeling my soleus. You know, I'm feeling that stretch. No guys, what you're actually feeling is you're feeling a tug of war match between your body. Your calves are contracting to keep you in that position. They're contracting to keep you upright. They're contracting to prevent you from falling down. Mm -hmm. So that's not a stretch. That's a contraction. Now you're trying to stretch something that's basically working at the same time. It's not going to help you. You want to help somebody stretch, especially the soleus muscle? Sit down. The moment you sit down, the muscle's not active anymore. Put something underneath the balls of your foot and Jay... I mean, we could have another podcast if you want, or basically I can send you an article that I wrote for the IAAF that you can share with your viewers or your viewers can contact me directly. I can send them this article. But in that article, there are a bunch of stretches that I show that basically place the body in a proper position to facilitate a proper stretch. There's more control. I call it, I call it the principle of stability, balance, and control. Your body is stable, it's balanced, and you've got more control with that muscle tissue. So when you're sitting down, your muscle, your, your calf muscle isn't active. Hey, voila, now you've got the ability to stretch that muscle properly. And this particular stretch, the soleus stretch sitting down, was introduced by one of my friends and a supervisor of my PhD uh, to the English ballet. And what they found is that people that were doing this stretch, they decreased their sorenesses in calves and problems that they had with calves with injuries. It was a very simple stretch. The concept is very simple. You've got to support as much of your muscle as possible in order to facilitate a proper stretch. So, having said that, the best time that I've used to work with my athletes in the NBA and all this and, and what I've worked with in my clinic is I used to teach them stretch before you go to sleep. Because the biggest issue you're going to see with your athletes, Jay, is sleep deprivation athletes aren't getting that deep sleep and guys when you look at your brain waves the brain wave is basically five waves there's uh, gamma which is the highest very very stimulated wave then there's beta right now jay you and i are in beta because we're conversing we're conscious and then we go into alpha now alpha is the brain wave 
which you start meditation, you start relaxation responses, and then we go into theta delta. Delta is the deepest of the brain waves, and it's at that brain wave, which is the deepest sleep, that we actually start recovering and regenerating, and a lot of athletes don't go there. So I think one of the best things to do is teach athletes, A, to stretch properly, not aggressively, and B, to get them to stretch before they go to bed and get rid of that iPhone, get rid of that iPod or iPad or whatever it is because that's a stimulus, guys. You're trying to basically activate the, the system of healing in your body. And often when I give lectures, I say that the sympathetic nervous system is the great teacher. So basically what I'm saying is that if I put my hand on a hot element, I'm not going to do it again because it's caused pain. So I'm going to remove my hand from that hot element. Okay, but the PNS, the parasympathetic nervous system, is the great healer. And that's the system that we need to activate in order to help our bodies recover and regenerate properly. And that's what's going to help athletes recover. How's that? <laughs> I know a lot. Oh, so I'll tell you what, it's awesome. And if we really can tie that article in and post that below, I think that this is like some freaking stellar stuff i like i love the fact i mean one that we're literally getting the information from the person who did the work and like this is your you know i'm sure you know derek you talked about how i do things but it's like i i go to the source or at least i try to selfishly because you know whenever you play the telephone game you tell me something I tell the third person something. By the time it gets to the fourth, something's been changed and screwed up. Oh, exactly. Um, or, you know, how we all like to say we put our own swing on it or our own flavor to it. But really, yeah, I'm going to send you someone... that article right now while we're speaking. Awesome. But really, when people do that, they just mess up somebody's life work. But that's a whole – we could have a podcast about that in and of itself. Um, but the whole idea of you need to be in a relaxed position to stretch – I think is one that is totally overlooked and it's one that I've actually argued with people for a while, especially like the kids I work with where they're like, oh, well, I feel this stretch. And it's like, well, yeah, bro, because if your calf didn't freaking fire right now, you'd fall down in front of 7,000 people and we'd laugh at you. Like, I'd be the first one to laugh at you like because you fell down trying to stretch your calves. Like, of course you feel something because you're fighting with yourself to do something and it's this is killer man i i absolutely love it um but where other than this article nick can they find out more about this because this is something strength coaches in particular i think can we can do better at when it comes to flexibility and mobility work and, and doing things simply to have consistent improvement with our student athletes Okay, so yeah. where they could uh, find out more about me is jay like i said i'm going to send you that article Awesome. They could basically, and they can contact me directly at microstretching at gmail.com. Um, yeah, and basic, that's about it for now. I'm on LinkedIn as well as Nikos Apostolopoulos, PhD. Uh, don't let that PhD scare you because it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but basically, I'll send you, I'm going to send you that article right now, along with my CVs for you to share with. Uh, with your listeners um and yeah we can do more podcasts if you like oh, it yeah. would be, 
because I'm sure, like Todd Ward uh, is a guy who's a physiotherapist out of Gunnison, Colorado, uh, who basically is going to have me do a big Skype talk with uh, his physios there. So you know, we could always send up a, set up a Skype thing or. I could even come down to Richmond and at the university you're at. Yeah, both would be awesome. And this is uh, this is some stuff that we need to talk about going into the future when we're looking at 2018 too with the pod, with the with the seminar because I think that this is, you know, the one thing that people complain about when it comes to educational events is it's like, well, there's nothing I could take in and use on Monday. Um, well, this sounds like when we release this on a Tuesday, you can start looking at stuff and start stuff on. Tuesday. So for those of you that were hoping to get something Monday, I'm sorry we're a day late. Um, but you can use it today and it'll help. And it's it's awesome stuff. Nick, I can't thank you enough for being on today, man. This is killer. Uh, thank you, Jay. And thank you to your listeners. And uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be fun. Like the field's growing, guys. And I think what's more important is you got to realize that every time you train, you're causing trauma to your body. So you want to diminish that response. And that's the key to help you recover. And listen, we all know that someday, somewhere, somehow, we're going to stop being athletes. And then we have to live the rest of our lives. So let's put in the, the protocols soon, early enough to actually help us for the rest of our lives because hey guys i'm missing a ligament in my left ankle because i was a javelin thrower and i i tore it so i'm suffering so i i'm i'm, I'm stretching every day which is helping me be mobile because the uh, what the, what they're recommending is uh spinal i mean uh, ankle fusion and there's no way i'm going down that route no sir no sir no, okay but anyways, this is great, Jay. Thank you, and thank you to your listeners. Yeah, thanks so much. We'll be in touch real soon, Nick. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye now. Yep, Take bye -bye. care. And a huge thanks to Dr. Apostolopoulos for sitting down and talking with us today. Guys, uh, the article's below. Uh, take a look. Read through it. It's really some neat stuff. I think when we talk about you know cool and sexy terms that are being thrown around in the field now, minimal dose is one of them, and I, I think that's really what Nick's getting at with a lot of his research and what he's seeing with, with micro-stretching. So kudos to him for, for looking at something that traditionally has been viewed really 180 degrees in the opposite direction and, you know, looking into it and doing the research and, and finding another way that you could be really, really successful with it. Um, guys, as always, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you haven't subscribed yet on iTunes, Podomatic, and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, and if you did like it, guys, hit that like button. We uh, we appreciate you guys sharing the wealth and passing the information out there because, as always, we're just trying to get great information out to the great coaches out there. Uh, and again, thanks to Nick. Guys, make sure you check out that article. It's linked below. And we will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.